Good morning. Good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to Myth Take, where we take a fresh fresh mistakes on ancient myths, something like that. Fresh takes. Fresh take on ancient myth. Right, the T-shirt orders are in. Uh, Careful, a... people might actually expect a T-shirt. I know. Well, <laughs> just you know, we just create it. We create a myth. We create a myth of it. Oh, okay. Our, our own, our own mythos. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know what? I'm really excited about tonight's episode. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm um, excited, uh, um, and I wonder. Well, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a divergent course for yeah so we are going to take our lovely listeners on a mythological tour of the solar system like not all at once though because this no. is not a six-hour podcast no 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 no, no 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 this is an installments installment. okay okay right. yeah so um people may or may not be aware that the planets in our solar system are named after roman gods no are closely related to Greek gods, and Greek no gods are all about myth. So, oh. we are going to do a little mythological tour, and I even looked up some astronomy facts. Of the solar too. system? Of the solar system oh, to start. Well, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, our solar system consists of eight planets plus Pluto. Ah. Uh, I don't know. I still count Pluto. I I've, count Pluto as a planet. I'm yeah. of that, I'm of that um, crowd. Yes. You know. There are apparently 146 moons around those various planets. That's a lot of That's a lot of moons. moons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, comets, asteroids, dwarf planets, which is supposed to be Pluto, and yeah. Ceres, and Eris. Those could be a couple of good myths mm-hmm. there. And then um, NASA helpfully says space rocks and I ice. like space rocks. <laughs> yeah. Space rocks, asteroids. You know, things like that. So the solar system is a st- is the star and everything that travels around it. And our star, of course, is called the sun. Ah, uh, yes. We've got, oh, we've got an asteroid belt. I How forgot creative. to mention the asteroid belt. Yes, we have an between asteroid Between Mars and Venus. Yes. And there's also something called the Oort cloud. Yes, the Oort cloud, yeah. Yes, yeah. which surrounds Oort. the entire solar system. Yeah, well, the Oort cloud distance. was a, you know, very, the Oort was a very famous um, astrophysicist who, one of his major contributions uh, to... Was finding was, the cloud. <laughs> having the cloud named after him. But one of the things that he figured out was that the overall smeared out density of matter in the universe equals 3.3 cubic meters per parsec or something like that. So we get this idea from, from Urt. He's a pretty pretty cool guy. He, he's a really... You know, everyone is overshadowed like, by like Carl Sagan and... and all the rest of them, but Urt is up there, and he's got a really cool last name. Sounds a lot like uh, the robot from. It sounds like it should be a brand still. of cookies. Urt That's cookie. Bortman, isn't that Bortman? I know, but Urt. Oh, that Urt. made a good. Yeah, be good Urt cookies. Anyway, yeah. so in my little bit of research, because yeah. I got thinking, you know, like why are they all named after after um, Roman gods, or at least yeah. in the Western world? Yeah, like why? And, you know? why well, not, I'm going to tell not, you why. I'm gonna why tell not you George? Why. Or like I'm going to tell you why because. Planet Planet Claire from the B-52s. Because the ancients named Mm -hmm. the planets that they could see. And they included Moon as a planet. So they started with Mercury, Venus, Earth, the Moon, and Mars. So those those were what they considered the five planets. And of course they named them after Hermes, Aphrodite, and uh, Selene for the Moon, Uh and Ares um, for Mars. Uh And so as other planets were discovered, they were added on and they kept that naming convention. So there's actually, this is really interesting. I think. Mm-hmm. In 1919, yeah. they established the International Astronomical Union, right. which oversees naming conventions. I've heard of it. And each um, each feature, your group of features on different uh, planets follows particular patterns, so or or themes. Um, so. Oh yeah. Yeah. A, so a, a topographical map of Mars reveals an incredible array of uh, mythological themes, exactly. like Mount Olympus and yes, you know, all kinds of things like that. Um, and of course, um, and the the, um, the names that der- that are derived from classical mythology are only considered standard in Western discussions. So right. Arabic had a different set of names sure. for for them as well. Yeah. So if we're going to do a tour of the solar system, I figure we may as well start on the inside and work our way out. 
And the inside of our solar system, what we know is holding everything together is... Uh, I don't know. Oh, the, the sun. sun. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You prepared for this, remember? Yes, yeah, okay. I'm prepared. So, I went to... I was to... just wondering where you were going with that, though. Because, okay, well, we're know, going I to also, the sun. I, I also like that idea, too. And it's a very sort of powerful symbol or cultural hegemony because of cultural hegemony because all those planets are from the Western tradition. And all those mm -hmm. other cultures are being denied, basically, mm -hmm. access. Well, uh, it shows the, the power that the Greeks and then the yes. Romans had over Western thoughts, yes, the power yeah. and the influence. It's all the tradition, yeah. So, well, okay, thanks. so I've got some God facts forbid. here. I've got yeah. some facts lined up for you about the oh. sun. Sun, yeah. yeah, the sun. Okay, so I went to NASA's website. Yeah, so I love we sun. are not astronomers. I should mention that. No. Okay, so the average diameter of the sun is some ginormous number. It's yeah. basically 109 times the size of the Earth. Wow. So, it's a big, so big this ball. is how NASA describes it. If this, and these are scientific terms because mm -hmm. it's from NASA. If the sun <laughs> were as tall as a typical front door, the Earth would be the size of a U.S. nickel. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's yeah. easy to visualize. Okay, so the temperature at the core of the sun is twenty seven million degrees Fahrenheit okay. or fifteen million degrees Celsius. Um, it takes about twenty seven days for the sun to rotate at the equator. Okay, um, it is a gaseous planet. Yes. Gaseous, gaseous, How gaseous, gaseous. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It's a star. Well, it's, it's not a planet. It's a star. Yeah. yeah. Um, the surface temperature is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. It is composed by of primarily hydrogen and helium, which yeah. is held together by its own gravity. Mm -hmm. And it makes up 99.8% of the mass of the entire solar system. Yeah. All so all there. the other planets and, and all the space rocks and everything else are only 0.2%. Right. So it's the closest star to Earth, which is... Um, Almost 150 million kilometers between Earth and the Sun. I know how long And it that takes. distance is called an astronomical unit. Yep, one AU. Yep. Yep. And it's eight minutes away at light speed. So, a million Earths could fit inside the Sun. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that one's cool. A million yeah. Earths could fit inside the Sun. That's what NASA says. Well, the ra right. radiation emitted from the Sun, from the surface of the Sun, yeah. takes about eight minutes to reach Oh, there's Earth. my eight minutes. There's I your eight minutes. Eight minutes yep. in there. Yep. Yep. Sunspots, which fluctuate in numbers, are strong, 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 strong magnetic. The sun is what gives us our northern lights. Yes. Or southern lights for our Australian listeners. Yeah. Okay, so the surface gravity of the Earth is 27.96 times that of the Earth. So... The surface gravity of the sun, you mean? Sun, yes. yes. Sorry. Yes. So Muggs weighs about yes. eight pounds. She hasn't gone for her annual checkup. Right. She usually weighs around eight pounds on Earth. We put her so on, on, the moon, the sun, I mean, on the sun, she would weigh 224 pounds. That's a big cat. That is a very big cat. Yeah. And she's not a big cat. That would okay. be a very heavy cat. Um, and when the sun starts to die, whenever that is, it's going to swell to a size so large it will almost engulf, engulf. the Earth. It, yeah, the inner planets. Yeah, the red dwarf stage. Yes. Yeah. So there's lots of, well, the ancients have always known about, cultures have always known about the sun because it's kind of hard to miss. It's up there in the sky during the daytime. Very much so. So many ancient cultures have have myths about the sun and they have uh, built structures to mark the progression of the sun and the moon um, and the Greeks and later the Romans were no different from that. Right. Um, we get our idea of the sun in the 12 hour day from the Babylonians sure. who predated the, the Greeks right. with that idea. Um, and the whole division of the calendar, because that's really the important thing with observing the stars and the heavens and the sky, is marking time. So marking time for agricultural purposes, marking time for religious uh, festivals, and even um, for astrological purposes, finding connections between events on Earth and events in the heavens. And it's really only in modern times that astrology was separated out from astronomy. Astrology and astronomy used to be one, pretty much one and the same that's a good point. parcel. Of, of things. That's a good point. Um, the basis of the most of calendrical systems, right? Yeah. yeah. So we know that the sun is the center of our solar system and the planets revolve around well, it. The hold general on a second. thing. Oh. Uh, uh, I cannot verify that personally. But we know the, that NASA says so. This NASA <laughs> says so. We have a theory, right, uh, that uh, is part of this, you know, whole logical scientific copernican revolution 
-hmm. that says that the Earth is not the center of the solar system. And we're going to talk more about that when we get to the Earth. Right, and that, that the Sun is in fact, right? Yes. So here we are, and I have to accept that theory from the Greek theoria, right? That says that that's the case. So, so I think until the, something I better think, comes along. I think the evidence is pretty strong. Is, that's is the it? Case. Well, I, yes. you know, we, but it, it could it involves... be a flat Earth for a lot. My experience. Oh tells me. dear. Oh dear. What am you I know, dealing with I here? Know. Well, okay. you know, I, it's a, I have a myth mind. <laughs> okay. I have to put so, my myth mind on. Okay. So what I'm going to tell you mm -hmm. is that the ancients, um, so our our Greek and Roman astronomers, pretty much agreed that yeah, the Earth was the center of this of solar of the universe really yeah. um and i mean that just this makes sense because everything was around it but i do want to correct one misconception because yes, there was a guy named aristarchus yes. about 310 bc was yes. when he was born mm -hmm. and he did a bunch it's really quite amazing um the amount of scientific stuff that the greeks figured out yeah. and that was like doctrine so to speak mm -hmm. or fact until we got telescopes and fancy gizmos in like the 16th, yeah. 17th century to start confirming and denying. Mm -hmm. Confirming, actually, mm -hmm. a surprising lot. But yeah. anyway, Aristarchus attempted to find the relative sizes and distances of the moons right. and, and moon and the sun and that kind of thing. And, the Earth and too. Yeah, yeah, he used the curvature of the Earth's shadow during an eclipse to yeah. figure out um, the size of the Earth. But anyway, he proposed a heliocentric model of the cosmos. Mm -hmm. um, so based on his observation that the sun was much larger than the Earth. So he had it right. He had it right, but nobody listened to him. But nobody listened <laughs> to that crazy old Greek with his sticks in the desert, right? Yeah, so um, people like Aristotle and Pythagoras of Samos and... Um, Thales, guys like... Yeah, they, they all bought into this... Um, and. It, Aristotle especially into the idea that the that the earth is is the center and that the planets rotate on spheres around that but we will we can talk more about that when we get to talking about planet yeah, we're going to deal with the sun yeah. the so sun. the sun so Darren who is the Greek god of the sun well you know it's 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 one of those things it's kind of like a treasure hunt this this uh, um, episode of myth take is going to be a little bit different because Primarily, what we usually do is just find a singular passage to focus on that highlights either a hero or god or goddess or some general concept or idea that we want to talk about. Um, and but with Helios, uh, this this figure of Greek mythology, uh, he's um, a little bit. Um, what would be the word I would use? He's rare. He's yeah. He's, he's not um, as popular. He's a little bit of a sideliner. I, well, yeah. I, he's he. We don't have a lot of myths about him. He only yeah. had really two main cult centers. Um, Pausanias mentions yeah. a number of different places in Greece that had altars to Helios. Yeah. Um, but his two main cult centers were on the island of Rhodes, named yeah. after his his wife. Helios apparently made the island rise up from the sea. Mm -hmm. And he fathered seven sons and one daughter there. Mm. Um, and actually, I... Acrocorinth used to belong to Helios. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's the other one. But I was just going to say, I felt like this was something that I should know as What's a that? classicist. But either I knew it and forgot it, or mm -hmm. I never knew it. I'm going to say I knew it and forgot it. Oh, sure. Um, the Colossus at Rhodes yeah. was a statue of Helios. A huge bronze statue of Helios. Yeah. And um, Strabo... Who's writing in the first century BC, first century AD, tells us that the statue was broken off at its knees in an earthquake, and an oracle told them not to repair yeah. it. But right. I remember reading in the news not so long ago a yes. tourist gimmick, perhaps, that the yes. island of Rhodes wanted to reconstruct the Colossus. So I don't know, they should have a little chat with the oracles and see if that's a good idea or not. Well, if it changes the economic situation in Greece, maybe it's a good idea. I don't know. We're 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 going to leave that to other experts. Yeah, I think they should save the money. But anyway, you did find some snippets. We did of find a couple of Helios. He sources. shows up in the Homeric hymns. Well, you know, here's the thing. I just want to say about it, generally speaking. When I say it was a little bit of a treasure hunt, and I mean it in the true sense of the word, because Helios does in fact appear in many of the great sort of sources that we have. He's not a central character, but he is in many of them, and mm -hmm. his in, and his presence in these sources are in, uh, you know, uh, are things that can easily be overlooked. He has his own um, Homeric hymn. It's a short one in the corpus of the Homeric hymns. He also is uh, in the Iliad. He's also in the Odyssey. He's also in Ovid's Metamorphosis. Ovid's Metamorphosis. Um, there are a number of... He 
one of those he smaller Orphic hymns that are slightly yeah. more fragmentary. He shows up um, in the Homeric Hymn to Demeter, which was the first thing I thought oh, right. of, yeah. where in his all-seeing capacity. Yes, and that's one of the interesting things that we will see. We, we will read some. We will read some of these snippets um, for you. Um, I can list them all on the website as well afterwards if you want to try to track down some of the other things. Um, but he is seen as this all-seeing god because he travels through the sky and he yeah. sees everything that goes on on the earth. Yeah, he is, you know, the, 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 the fiery disc, right? Yes. He is a, a, a bright god uh, that, uh, you know, pulls a chariot, a flaming chariot across the sky every day. And when you look up and you see the sun, that is that is Helios. And um, there's, you know, we can talk about his pedigree or his lineage or whatever when we look at the hymn. Okay, so why don't we ask Allison to read the hymn for us? Sure. Okay. We'll see. Begin to sing again, O muse Calliope, daughter of Zeus, about Helios, the radiant god, whom cow-eyed Euryphaza bore to the son of Gaia and starry Uranos. For Hyperion married the, fami the famous Euryphaza, his own sister, who bore him beautiful children, Aeos of the rosy arms and fair-haired Selene, and tireless Helios like the immortals, who shines on mortals and immortal gods as he drives his horses. With his eyes he flashes a piercing look from his golden helmet, and bright beams shine radiantly from him, while from his head and over his temples the bright cheek pieces cover his graceful face, shining from afar. On his skin a beautiful, finely woven garment shimmers in the blast of the winds, and his stallions. He stays his golden-yoked chariot and horses there until he sends them wondrously through the heavens to the ocean. Farewell, Lord, kindly grant delightful sustenance. Having begun from you, I will delight the race of mortal men, the demigods whose deeds the gods have shown to men. Thank you, Allison. <laughs> Thank you, Allison. That was uh, very good. And I should note there that there is a lacuna in the text, mm -hmm. so a gap in the text of the hymn. Um, there seem to be some lines missing. Um, at one point, so it doesn't entirely make grammatical sense. It's but like that's why. 15, 16, yeah. around there. And who knows what's missing or how, or how much is missing. The best stuff. Probably yeah. really interesting stuff. At any rate, that is one translation. That translation is in That's the Shelmerdine translation, translation. Um, that we use with our students. And, and um, I have the Evelyn White's uh, taken from the Perseus site, and they are both uh, um, good. This mm -hmm. is a very short, very short hymn. Hymn right. number 31. Hymn 31 in the corpus, and a hymn, of course, is a song of praise. It's sung in a public performance or ritual performance. This one in particular is kind of interesting because it evokes Calliope, the muse of epic poetry, and then ends by saying that it's going to be a recita resuscita resuscitation? recitation recitation, <laughs> recitation of... Uh, 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 the race of mortal heroes. men and demigods. Right, so, yeah. so this is uh, sung before, right? This yeah. is sung before, and then it's, okay, we're going to be going on to sing it out. This uh, is the same sort of thing that we see at the men. beginning of the Iliad, for example, when Homer invokes the muses to help inspire him. Yeah. And so here... But um, this one is particular because it is a singular muse, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And Zeus is, is also listed at the very beginning as being their father. But Calliope is the eldest of the muses, and she's a, a goddess of eloquence uh, who bestows her gift on kings and princes as well. And in, in this period in the, in the, the classical, Calliope is uh, named the muse of epic poetry, right? So Calliope is the mother of, bar, of, of bards like Orpheus and uh, ostensibly Homer, and Calliope right. is also a character in Grey's Anatomy. And she's also a character I just in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> should mention that for any listeners who watch Grey's no Anatomy. Idea. Yeah. Okay, so we start off with um, naming Helios the radiant god, um, kind of an apt description for the sun being being radiant, whom cow-eyed, and cow-eyed is a compliment. Um, it shows up, um, Hera is described as ox-eyed. I'm, yeah. Right. I'm, I, and so I'm not quite sure how having cow eyes is a compliment, but it's a mark of it's an beauty. Epithet. It's an epithet. Yeah. It's a Homeric beauty. epithet. It identifies it as being part of the Homeric corpus. My translation lists mild-eyed or okay. wide-eyed because you're yeah. a phase, yeah. Cows have big round eyes. Yeah. So for those of round who, eyes. who aren't yeah. familiar with cows. Right. Um, so my notes here say that um, euphasia means widely shining. Yeah. And might, in fact, be another name for Theia. 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 Yep. Theia. 
who is in later tradition um, or in other traditions the mother of the son Mm -hmm. so um, what's our what's our genealogy then for Helios? Well, it's 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 fascinating, really, because Helios is one of those rare gods that still continues to operate in in a, an Olympian environment. And in Hesiod's Theogony, we learned the story of the succession and rise of Zeus. We learned about the Titanomachy uh, and the um, you know the the war against the Titans. And but here Helios uh, and his mother Theia and his father Hyperion are both Titans, uh, and they get together and they have this uh, a number of children. All and of them are solar, right? All of them are are um, planetary, right? So Titans mm-hmm. are the generation of gods before the Olympians. That's so right. most of our listeners are probably somewhat familiar with Zeus and Athena yeah. and kind of those guys. This is the generation yeah. before that. Yeah, and they have they have a child. That is, well, they have three children, Aos the dawn, Selene the moon, and Helios the sun. And these children continue to operate uh, in uh, the Olympian order, right? Mm -hmm. Although they are not part of the Olympian family, per se. And the majority of the Titans, you know, um, were dealt with rather rather harshly, right? Yeah. Imprisoned in Tartarus. But these ones were not. And one of the interesting things we see here, too, is that Hyperion... The Titan um, is a sun god as well. And so we see this redundancy. Um, just because Helios becomes a sun god does not mean Hyperion is no longer a sun god. That's right. You see often in, in mythology, I think it's safe to say often, yeah. um, gods with overlapping functions. Yes. Or where younger gods take on aspects of older gods. It's called imbrication, one overlapping the other. There you go. There's, yeah. there's, there's your $25,000 word of the yeah. day. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you do see that. Right, and you see qualities and characteristics that are inherited, right? So Hyperion, of course, is a solar deity, mm-hmm. and it's natural that his son and his daughters would have solar qualities, right? Mm-hmm. They're part of the the heavens. So Selene, the moon, yep. and Aos, the dawn. Yes. Okay, and the dawn is always described as rosy armed or rosy. Yeah. Rosy faced or yeah. rosy something. So yep. here she is um, in. In the Shelmerdine translation, rosy arms and fair-haired Selene. Um, the moon la- later yeah. becomes dress. associated with Diana in Roman mythology. It's also associated with Artemis. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will talk about that when we get to the Earth. They, I believe that I read in Pausanias that there was a cultic shrine to Helios and Selene in Sparta, uh, and that the two bronze statues inside. Um, were supposed to be of Helios and Selene, although Pausanias couldn't see them, he said, because they were too overly garlanded. But he had been reported that Selene had horns. So that's how you know the horned goddess, the moon, right? When When the moon's in in its crescent. In its crescent. And it looks like horns. She has this on her And that's that's common in other other cultures as well. Yeah, you see it. That that association. Absolutely. So... we mentioned already that Helios's two main cult centers were, were Rhodes and Corinthos. Yeah, um, Corinth, yeah. In Corinth, uh, Helios had actually disputed with Poseidon, um, he, who is his father-in-law, and Helios um, was was granted the um, Acrocorinth, so like the like the Acropolis sort of thing, um, and. Poseidon was granted the the is the Isthmus. Isthmus. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and um, so so there were altars there were altars um, there. Yeah, they're uh, always fighting over territory. You can see you can see the same myths associated with Athena and Poseidon. These contests for favor in, the, mm-hmm. in these cultic centers. I know that that Acro Corinth later becomes granted or gifted by Helios to. To Aphrodite, so yes, the association yeah. with the Helios breaks away a little bit, and there's a shrine there. But just to back up for a second, if we were looking at that opening passage that describes the mother and the father, the mm-hmm. Titans, right? And then to place us sort of in 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 time, it, it does say, you know, the far shining one that says bear uh, to the son of earth and starry heaven. Now, a lot of our listeners might not know what that mm-hmm. means; they might just think that's poetic language. But earth and starry heaven is in reference to Gaia. And Uranus. And Uranus, right. So that's right out of Hesiod's Theogony. So they're telling us... We'll do us, that passage someday for you guys, because right. it's a really important one. They're telling us where this generation of gods came from, where the Titans came from. They were the first ones on the block, right? Gaia, yeah. So Gaia and Uranus are two of the four 
um, primordial gods the, that start everything out. Um, actually, no, no, sorry, I mistake that. Uranus isn't. Uranus is born of Gaia. Gaia is one of the four primor- primordial got gods. Absolutely. It's been a while since I taught that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like the found, goes back to goes the back, foundation yeah, right of, to the beginning. Of, of, the, it's a of the cosmos. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and when we're talking about these births of these gods, these are primordial beings, these are early beings, these are foundational figures in their mythology. And Hyperion is listed in here as being wedded to glorious Europhasia. So mm-hmm. this is an example of a snatch and grab that we often get. Yep. Um, but we do get a sanctified ceremony, right? Uh, and we get uh, something going on, right? Of course it's listed as his own sister, who uh, bear but him lovely children. That, <laughs> but, but that happens all the time in mythology. There's not a lot of gals in the neighborhood yet, <laughs> right? So, you know, you kind of got to go with what you got there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what else we got? Um, yeah, so anyway, what I was mentioning there about Poseidon, where I was kind of going with that, mm-hmm. is that Poseidon is actually, like in our human terms, Poseidon would be Helios's father-in-law. Yeah, I don't get that connection. I, I'm not um, sure how be- that works. Because Poseidon, and I didn't make notes on it, but mm-hmm. but um, Rode, Rode, Rode? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how you would, if you pronounce that final E on her name. Somebody will write in and tell us. Mm-hmm. Um she is offspring of Poseidon, and that's who Helios mates with um, on the Isle of Rhodes and has all his, his Yeah, you really go on. Okay, anyway. yeah, like that Rhodes stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It, hey, I'm just... it was an earthquake. It broke, right? Well, yeah. that was the Colossus. Yeah, and it's 600 feet tall, I heard. Six, uh, there was some, I, I came across a couple of different measurements. Six times ten cubits or something like that? I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway. But it is one okay. of the wonders so, of the ancient world. Of the ancient world. Yes. So what does Helios look like? Don't know. I can only speculate. You can only have what's in the hand. Oh, right. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you you'd really need a pair of powerful sunglasses to look at him, right? And you get the, the effect of that in Ovid's Metamorphosis as his son Phaeton tries to, tra- well, travels to his palace to see his father. But for Hyperion, okay, so what do we got here? Uh, he rides in his chariot. He shines upon men and deathless gods. And piercingly, he gazes with his eyes from his, go- from his golden helmet. Bright rays beam dazzlingly from him. And his bright locks streaming from his temples, uh, his head gracefully encloses his far-seen face. I like that. He has a far-seen face. Yeah, everyone can see the sun from really far away and all and over the earth. he can see everyone else. Right, yeah, and he's up in the sky. So he is, you know, the, uh, uh, he's the all-seeing eye, right, of the sky. And everything that happens on the earth is under his observation, right? At least for the time of his travel across yes. the sky. Yes. Yeah. Um, and his horses, something else that I found out interesting, w- was that according to, um, oh, I didn't write down who it was according to, um, but anyway, from other ancient sources, we know that the traditional sacrifice to Helios was white, white horses. White horses, yeah, white yeah. horses, absolutely. So his association with horses there. Mm-hmm. Um, so Helios uh, pulls or drives the chariot Across his across the sky, and Pulled that is flaming the sun. Yeah. Um, the the Egyptians had a similar sort of myth um, that the sun gets pulled across. I think in a boat in Egyptian mythology, but again, this idea that something is pulling the sun across the earth, and then what happens at night to the sun? It travels through, it travels around down under the earth and back to the starting point. Yeah, it can. So, and, and there are there are other variations in that theme, right? It sort of dips into the river ocean. And at that particular point, Helios gets into a golden cup yep. that, that, that uh, Hephaestus made for him. And he sort of leisurely <laughs> sails away while he sleeps back to his sort of palace uh, where he'll come up again. Starting in the point. Yeah. Right. Um, there's a myth that's tickling the edges of my mind. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. What is that myth where somebody asks Apollo or Zeus for permission to drive the horses across the sky? Well, there's two. You're talking about okay. You're, that's that's an Ovid. That's, that's an, the, oh, that's the yeah. Ovid one. Okay. Ovid, mortal your lot, yet not mortal your desire. Right? Phaeton wants to Phaeton. Prove, that's who I'm prove thinking his of. Yeah. lineage. Yeah. And he says, "Daddy, let me drive the chariot." And he says, "Oh, you don't want to do that, son." But right? Yeah. So these are uh, mythology warns us that these are very powerful horses that um, cannot be controlled by anyone other than Helios. Yeah, which is it's why I was mentioning that. Yeah, extremely dangerous job, right? It is. It's fraught with peril. This guy is expert, right? Even with the salves and bombs that he anoints Phaeton's face with, it doesn't work, right? It's just too much for him to handle, and he knows it. But that's a whole different thing, you know, that, that we can we can look at. Okay. 
Did you have more that you wanted to say about the Homeric hymn there? Or did what, you the Homeric hymn itself? Yeah. Um, did you want to look at a different uh, Any state is golden passage. chariot horses and yeah, the highest point of heaven. From the highest point of heaven, you know, yeah. He is that, that, that sight up above, right? That, that all-seeing eye, right? And, and there's a, a wondrous sort of saying that sort of kind of pervades Western culture. And it, and it kind of comes, in a sense, from the Greek tradition. is the idea, you know, when they say things like everything under heaven and earth, right? Or everything it's under the sun. And that's a theme that you, you, you get from Helios and that you get from Greek myth. And you also get from, like, the book of Ecclesiastes, for example. And this idea that everything that occurs on the earth during the day is seen, right? And with that sort of vision is um, the potential for judgment, let me put it that way, mm, right? Mm -hmm. Because Helios can see good and he can see bad. He can mm -hmm. see the good things of men and gods, and he can see the bad things of men and gods, mm -hmm. right? And we have examples in myth where he's pointed a few things out. He does have a job, right? And that's to basically pull that sun across the sky and do what he does every day. But there's also an association with him with, like, maybe even shame culture and observation and justice mm -hmm. and righteousness, maybe, right? Mm -hmm. And just the idea that you are being seen, right? And there's a very strong sort of connection with Helios with Zeus, too, in the Iliad, right? Zeus, Zeus keeps Helios pretty close. And the two of them, they're, they're, they share a number of qualities and characteristics. Even when you look at, like, Hesiod's Works and Days, for example, that talks about the cosmic power of Zeus, how Zeus penetrates into everything, right? That idea is very similar, right, to Helios, mm -hmm. right? With his power of the sun... And then that last particular spot where it says, um, Hail to you, right, Lord, freely bestow on me substance that Sus tears the heart. Yes, sustenance. Right? The, right. the earth, the sun rather, is recognized as a critical part of light, of agriculture and life. Yeah. Yeah. Light and life, right? There's your bios, right, that you're getting. Yes. Right? There's your substance, right? And that's interesting because on the, um, ac on the Acro Corinth, um, he's also associated, there were two temples there, um, according to Pausanias, one to necessity and one to baya, one to, to force. Well, th this is bios, baya is force, oh, bios okay, is life. Oh, okay, I've got that mixed up. Okay. Yeah, this is the substance, right? The biotic, right? Okay. Um, um, and it says here, he stays his golden yoked chariots and horses there. That's referring to, like, high noon. They, they saw that high noon... They yeah, felt it was yeah. kind of like a, a pause, and that he yeah, just, it kind of lingers he, there for a bit. He just kind of lingers there, yeah. and then begins and then the, he begins his his descent down through the heavens to the ocean. In that juncture, in on Ovid is 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 um, exposed as being a particularly perilous point in the journey. Right, it's um, pointed out by by Helios to Phaeton about you know how to handle that particular maneuver. Right, mm -hmm. um, so that. Is something that I find that's quite important in there, that association with light and with life, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that, of course, it's agricultural, but men too, in a way, you know, do not operate in a world of darkness, right? We sleep when it's dark, especially in the ancient world. We do everything... Yeah, there's no artificial, right. well, very little artificial light. Exactly. We little do olive oil everything lamp. that's important while the sun shines, and, and, and everything is tied into this particular notion, right? So you get that, that bios, right? You get that life you get that substance oh and there's your there's your heart right there remember from the Circe pack uh, passage we were talking about the heart right that is the thumos okay. right so the thumos again is in there and that particular one it it says soothing the heart soothing the heart or soothing the heart thumares but it's it's the same same type of word that's talking about the spirit and the heart right that uh, it's something that is um, bestowed uh, on us by Helios. And now that I have begun with you, right, Helios, I will celebrate the race of mortal men, half divine, whose deeds the muses have shown to mankind. So this is a prelude to an epic um, recitation mm -hmm. uh, uh, that celebrates the race of mortal men, right? So yeah. we begin with that. Okay, so then let's have a look at another passage about Helios. And another this is, source? Yes, and this is from the Odyssey, book 12. And this is actually after, after last week's episode, yes, after last week's um, episode where we were talking about Circe. Yeah. Um, this passage, it's, it's a very interesting passage, but we don't have time to read it in full. 
Um, so we'll set it up for you. The um, crew, Odysseus and his crew, have decided, against Odysseus's better judgment, <laughs> to put in at this island where the sun has his uh, sacred cattle. Thrinacia. Yes, so... And the men promise Odysseus, we will not kill them, we will not eat them. Yes, Eurylochus However, is quite explicit. However, um, they are stuck there for a while. They're and stuck there for a month because they can't get any wind. And their own supplies run out. Well, once again, you know, and this contrary wind idea. So then what do you do after and the food runs out, right? Exactly. So Eurylochus says, look, there's cows here. Yeah. I don't want to starve to death. I think it would be worse to starve to death than to never get home, to anger the gods and never get home. Yeah. So let's just, um, let's, uh, let's kill one of these cows. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. So he, so he says, uh, line 343, come then, let us cut out the best of Helios's cattle and sacrifice them to the immortals who hold wide heaven. And if we ever come back to Ithaca, land of our fathers, presently we will build a rich temple to the sun god Helios Hyperion and store it with dedications, many and good. So you see there that Helios is going by Helios Hyperion. He's, yeah. he's conflated with, uh, yeah, with, no. with his Titan father. Right. So there, and, and then he says, but if he's upset with that and he wants to kill us, then so be it. It's better than being, quote, pinched to death by hunger. By starvation, yeah. yeah. So they, it doesn't work. So they all agree. And Odysseus, of course, it has wandered off and fallen asleep. So he doesn't know what's going on. Absolutely. They call out, um, the cattle are, are, are nearby. They, they call out um, kind of the best that they see there. And then they sort of have a sort of sacrifice. They almost, they almost do things right, but not quite here. Yeah, it just doesn't work out. It's not yeah. going to work out. It's not in the cards. They, Tiresias warned them. Circe's yeah. warned them. They find themselves here. They've made one error after another. Odysseus is, you know, suffering from his classical narcolepsy and falling asleep somewhere. And if it isn't, a, you know, this is falling asleep on the he boat. He should know better than to, to fall asleep. To cause suspicion over the bag of winds. He's falling asleep out in the bushes somewhere. And, and then these guys, you know, once again get moving. So they cut away. So they kill the cows. They skin them. They cut away the meat from the thighs, wrap it in fat. But they don't have any wine, so they make a libation of wine and roast the entrails and basically have a barbecue. Yep. So this next little bit... They don't have any wine, so they use water. That's yes. the critical point. Yes, okay. And it's not well received. So I'll read the next little passage starting at line 374. Why do we want to read this particular passage? Because this is where we see Helios actually has speaking so, lines. Here we go. Okay. Yeah. He's in it. Lampetia of the light robes ran swift with the message to Hyperion the sun god that we had killed his cattle and angered at the heart he spoke forth among the immortals. Father Zeus and you other everlasting and blessed gods, punish the companions of Odysseus, son of Laertes, for they outrageously killed my cattle in whom I always delighted on my way up into the starry heaven or when I turned back again from heaven towards earth. Unless these are made to give me just recompense for my cattle, I will go down to Hades and give my light to the dead men. Then in turn, Zeus, who gathers the clouds, answered him, Helios, shine on as you do among the immortals and mortal men all over the grain-giving earth. For my part, I will strike these men's fast ship midway on, on the open wine-blue sea with a shining bolt and dash it to pieces. Wow, yeah. Interesting point. Helios actually threatens Zeus's cosmic order. Mm -hmm. And Zeus must comply. Yes. Yeah, so how does he threaten the cosmic well, order? Let's, let's, help our, let's help our listeners through this because they yeah. might not be familiar with this. Well, this is interesting. You know, there's a number of ways of skinning this cat. But one of the things that I look hey, at right Mons now Hey, Mons does is, not like that expression. <laughs> is the idea that, you know, it is part of the system that Zeus has created that the sun... You know, it rises in the east and sets in the west, and that is Hyperion's job. And Zeus, as the you know CEO of Mount Olympus, uh, he has parceled out the functions of these divinities, whether they are Olympian or not, to do things for him, right? Uh, and that's part of his genius, right? This division. And you know, if it does not work, then the whole system can break down if one of them doesn't do their job. So here's one of them, a, a, a pre-Olympian 
figure, right? A non-Olympian, but a pre-Olympian yeah. figure, who says, I uh, have been dishonored because of the actions of these men, right? Uh, I want compensation, and if I don't get compensation... I'm taking my toys I'm and going home. I'm taking my toys <laughs> and going home. But this is what I find the most interesting. What his threat is 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 actually incredible because what it will what will occur is that the world in essence will be flipped on its head literally the yeah. life-giving substance of the earth of the, the sun, sun will shine in the underworld and that yeah. the dead will be enervated in a way right yeah. this is that revenant force yeah uh, we know who's really into that right yeah. and the greeks themselves are frightened by this capacity right to suddenly and we've just come out of the necusis right so we we've just had a terrifying vision of what the world of the dead is like in in odyssey um uh, in the book of the dead right and now here we are in 12 and we're just sort of getting out of it we're still in that twilight nowhere land right that weird place where they find themselves with Thunesia. and that's what helis is saying it's like i need compensation right zeus if you're in charge you take care of it and zeus does he listens Mm -hmm. And, and, and he, he punishes them, right? He destroys them with a thunderbolt, with the, the exception of Odysseus, of course. Limpetia of the Light Robes, that is one of his, that's Daughters. his daughter. Yes. Um, and she is one of the, 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 the children are, the, are, are like nymphs. They're like overseers of, yeah. of these cattle. And what I also found interesting was that in the Greek world, mm -hmm. Um, Helios was associated with some sacred flocks. Oh, yeah. This, um, this is something, yeah. And this shows up a, um, a couple of different places, um, also in Herodotus. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, the, um, the Odyssey here. And, the, and, um, the and there's mention that in Apollonia, in Illyria, a, a, a Greek colony, um, had sacred flocks to Helios there as well. So, yeah. so there was, in kind of practical terms, um, flocks that were considered sacred to, yeah. to Helios. And that, that's something that kind of comes out of regular cultic practice. You do see separated or segregated animals who, mm -hmm. you know, exist for a special purpose. They become sanctified, right? Yeah. And, then, and also, Helios is, a, is was a, in a very small collection of gods like Apollo, for example, that ha maintains a sort of earthly flock, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Apollos is, are at the slopes of Mount Olympus in Pieria, and here in uh, Thranesia we have uh, Helios's cattle, right? Yeah. So you see this sort of tradition, these two divinities, you know, and that's another one that will be imbricated or overlapped onto Helios and Hyperion. Mm -hmm. Will be Apollo as the yes, light because giver, right? yes, Apollo takes on right aspects of the sun. Yeah, he's starting to pull that into the sort of yeah. a, of the of Zeus's Olympian order, but that comes going to come a little bit later. Helios is still in there. We're still in the Homeric, right? Mm -hmm. So Zeus, just to get back to it, he yes. threatened Zeus, and Zeus says, "I want to tell the, the listeners what happens." Absolutely. Okay, so um, Helios continues um, shining on his way, but this is what happens if you try to eat cattle belonging to the sun. Mm -hmm. So this is this is Odysseus speaking. Yeah, they're immortal cattle. They are immortal cattle, yeah. right? So this is not going to be easy. But when I, Odysseus, came back again to the ship and the seashore. They all stood about and blamed each other, but we, but we were not able to find any remedy, for the oxen were already dead. The next thing was that the gods began to show forth portents before us. Yeah. The skins crawled, and the meat that was stuck on the spits bellowed, both roast and raw, and the noise was like the lowing of cattle. Mm -hmm. Six days thereafter, my own eager companions feasted on the cattle of Helios the sun god, cutting the best ones out. Um, and then eventually Zeus sends them the winds. So that and then blasts we joke about, I sometimes joke if I get like a really raw hamburger at a restaurant about it mooing. Well, yeah, um, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, it's just one of the, one but of that is that is supernatural <laughs> qualities when you try to eat divine yeah. meat. And of course we, yeah. um, as, as the audience know that Odysseus's men are doomed. They are not going to yeah. make it back home. They won't make any it. of them. And in the Odyssey, in, you know, that, that section's from book 12. Right away in book one, on line eight uh, of the Odyssey, Odysseus, Odysseus's companions uh, um, are denied a homecoming because they devoured the oxen of Helios. Mm -hmm. It's listed yeah. right on the eighth line. So right away you know that Helios is in there somewhere. He's right at the beginning, and of course he's going to be at the end of, uh, of, of, this, of the story as well. Yeah. You, you also get a couple of other small instances of Helios in the Odyssey. Um, you also get in book eight, line 271, Helios tells... 
um, Hephaestus that Ares is li uh, lying in love with Aphrodite, and that's that whole myth of, mm -hmm. of uh, that we could pick up in Ovid's Metamorphosis, mm -hmm. but it's also reported in, in Book 8 of the Odyssey. And then um, I also like in Book 10, which it was where we, where we were before in the Odyssey with the Circe episode, but Odysseus tells his crew that they're lost um, on, on the, um, Circe's island because they do not know where Helios rises or sets. Yes. So this so idea of of the sun being a, um, important in navigation and observation and orientation and like just in the natural world, like it, it's something when the sun shines, it's the world of the living, it's the world of men, and without the sun, we don't know where we are, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you get that idea. And, and the and the Greeks were very were, were very much seafaring. If you've ever been to totally. Greece or or um, Turkey, in the yeah. areas where, where the Greeks lived. It's mountainous. It's yeah. easier to sail around a point than to try to uh, <laughs> yeah. try to make a road yeah. um, As a in a lot culture, of places. So it's a maritime culture, yeah. and the stars and the sun and the moon are yeah. so critical yeah. to navigation. Now, and, and with that, even with that idea in mind about navigation and pointing out direction, right? Where do I go? Oh, that's east, right? Mm -hmm. Helios is associated with that sort yeah. of that decision-making process, right? And then if we're going to take that, that nautical theme, if you look in Argonautica, uh, back in the Argonautica, uh, in book, uh, book 3, in line 598, um, Iates, right, who himself is a demigod son of Helios, yes. calls an assembly of the Colchians, they're outside the Greek mm -hmm. world, and he tells them that he had received a prophecy from his father, Helios, Helios. Uh, uh, to beware the treachery and schemes of his own offspring. Look out, right? Your daughter, right? That type of stuff. Medea, eventually, yes. right? So Medea is a granddaughter of Helios, and right. Circe is a daughter. Yes, uh, um, Helios is Aetes and Circe are brother and sister. Yeah, right. And uh, so they're both connected to Helios. Yeah, and he has he has mortal children. He has a few of them, and they're the Colchians are one of them. And the you know the dreaded powerful Aetes figure, right? Mm -hmm. But what I really like about that passage is the idea that prophecy is now being associated with Helios. That's something you don't really get. You know, I know you can you can see how it would work that how a god like Hyper I mean Helios would be associated with prophecy. Because it's the sun points out directions and it can illuminate your things that you and see it's around that you and desire yeah. to connect what's going on in the heavens yeah. to what's going on on earth. Yeah, you're part so of that mechanism. We're doing it with the stars and the planets, yeah. so why not? It why seems not with the like sun? prophetic for so to the to the uninitiated, it would seem like a magical quality for a mariner, an ancient mariner, to stand on the bridge of his of his ship and look off into the starry sky and say, "Oh, that is the direction that we need to go." Right? Someone would say that would be magic, right? That seems like prophetic or oracular power. So he's associated with prophecy in that particular little instance, which I really like. So he's in there as well. Now there there are other instances of Helios in the Iliad, and the only one of the only ones that I really want to point out. Um, this is part of the Homeric tradition because we have the Homeric hymn, then we have the Odyssey, which is Homer, and then of course the the Iliad. And in the Iliad, um, during the Menelaus and Paris duel. Right mm -hmm. in book three, um, three lambs are sacrificed to uh, the gods. One is sacrificed to Gaia, one is sacrificed to Zeus, and one is sacrificed to Helios. And I thought the thought that was really great because now we're getting a Homeric portrayal of Helios in the Iliad. And then again uh, in book three, Agamemnon calls upon Zeus and Helios, who sees all and hears all, according to Homer. Um, uh, and the earth to take vengeance on anyone who does not um, say stay true to their oath. So Helios is associated with the power of oaths, which is a, a Zeus-like power, right? But in that invocation scene, Agamemnon invokes both Zeus and Helios, and then throws in the the oath part of it, right? Mm -hmm. So again, this idea that the observation, the idea that that Helios can see the works of men, right? Can see the the good deeds and the bad deeds of men. And then if you're going to call an oath, right? Who is better to, to... You need a witness. Yeah. Right? So that would be Helios, right? Maybe Zeus is busy. He could be gardening. I don't know. Right? <laughs> okay, well, I He'd think... also... Oh, got one more. Oh, one more thing. Yep, Squeeze it in thing. under the... Un, okay, no, we're almost out of time, but under, yeah, un, no, under we the line. keep Get going. Okay. Book 14, line 344. Zeus draws a cloud around himself right, in his episode in his love affair with, with Hera, 
and he says that not even Helios can penetrate. Right? So, yeah, Helios is important, but Zeus has the capacity to even obfuscate. Like, he has the capacity to stealth himself, right? To shield himself through this, through this observation. So, he's limited in a certain way, right? Um, yeah, what else we got? That's it. Okay. There's, so, there's one more. But that's yeah, okay. um, and we didn't even have time to get to Ovid's Metamorphosis. Why not? Um, because we're already out of time. Hmm. So we will maybe have to do Ovid's Metamorphosis an, another time. Um, okay. So we focus on the Greek sources. That's kind of where, where our expertise, such as it is, lies anyway. So that is our visit to the sun. The sun, yeah. And our next planet. For the soul. Yes. The and solar soul, system. Soul and Helios come from the same Proto-Indo-European root. That's cool. Yeah. So I did come across that. Okay. Um, so, yes. Solar let's um, leave it there for tonight. Okay. We don't have any listener today, mail today. Um, I received a message from a viewer that's, yeah. uh, that credited um, Alaska as the su- uh, source for um, Homer. Yes, Homer, I think Alaska. I think that's about about as valid as any place. There you go. And not? in fact, right here in Ontario, there's a place named Homer, not I'm far sure from where we are. Not yeah. far from where we are, there's okay. a place named Homer, and uh, and then another place, Virgil too. Oh. Anyway, uh, so oh yeah, right. Anyway, um, you can check out the website. You can follow us on Twitter at Darren Sunstrom. At Darren Sunstrom on Twitter. At Innes Allison. Um, Hope you learned something. Hope we you will be back. Much. No, I think it was good. Um, maybe we'll put this up on uncut and unedited. Yeah. Part two. And so next week, no, uh, do you know what, what planet's up next week? Uh, well, if we're going in the order, we're yeah. going Mercury. We have Mercury, to yes. right. So that's Hermes. And yeah. I love Hermes. There's lots of good stuff for Hermes. Too. Sure, it's good. And we'll throw in some tidbits, some more tidbits about Greek astronomy. Um, Greek sciences are absolutely fascinating. So... If you are an astronomer, you are welcome to <laughs> write to us with, with your corrections. But I got it, my information off of the podcast, NASA. Yeah, I know. Podcast. But we, yeah. we we're going to credit NASA with all our with all our mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so thank you very much for joining us, good night, and good we'll evening. see you next week. Bye bye.